disturbing information coming out of, uh, America. 1776 will commence again if you try to take our firearms. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay! A conspiracy theorist is just what they call you when you're speaking a little too much truth. I don't know, I think she's demon-possessed, but I don't think she's a lizard. Because she's from the pits of hell. Demons! Asian people are not freaking human, folks. You know, you think it'd be common sense you wouldn't vote for a guy named Obama for President of the United States. COVID-19. Yeah, the pandemic. Coronavirus! The, you know, the Wu flu, yeah. the Shanghai cough, the Kung flu, the, con the Chinese Communist Party virus. What was it? It was something like 70% of the businesses that had closed during that lockdown were not coming back. Take the face diaper off. <laughs> the revelation that gay men were visiting gay bathhouses for the purpose of anonymous, often unprotected sex with other men. Disgusting. Is there a bunch of pedophiles and Satanists? God. You know, Epstein and Weinstein just doesn't sound like a Presbyterian problem to us. These people are so disgusting. Gotta protect the right to have gay sex frequent and unprotected, unprotected and anonymously. But God forbid you have your loved ones over for a freaking base Thanksgiving meal celebrating the freaking, you know, the peace between the pilgrims and the freaking Native American Indians. These people lie, cheat, and steal, and they're taking over our country. Take it back. We need to take it back now. Welcome to the Patriarchal Bigots with your hosts, Ricky Bobby and Phalanx Man. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance. Wake up, my friend. No longer can we stand idly by. The time is now. Rise up. Come together as one. Reclaim your country. How was your week, man? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. How yeah. about you? Yep. Yeah. Uh, mine was busy extremely busy very little sleep for the past few days but that is the the plight of the uh college student so <laughs> yeah yeah especially one who's active in like several groups so um things are going crazy in afghanistan man yeah i'm, sh I'm sure all of our bigot listeners have, are aware of this um and given how relevant it is i we figured we would do a an episode outlining the history of the Taliban and the history of the war in, in Afghanistan and then kind of touching on what's going on right now uh, so that you have some context for what's going on. Because most people, they, you know, they have the, the memory of a goldfish. Um, hell, some people might not even be alive that are able to vote today when when this whole thing started 
So, yeah. Yeah. Forever Wars, man. Been going on for a long time, man. Yep. Yep. All right. You want to start us off, man, with uh, how the Taliban got started? Yeah, man. That's all right. And, uh, give you a little history of uh, the Taliban. In 1989, the Soviet troops withdrew from Afghanistan, and the Afghan Mujahideen, under the leadership of Ahmed Shah Massoud, surrounded the Afghan capital, Kabul, and took over the rule three years after the departure of the Soviets. The Afghan government was backed by the Soviet Union and led by President Saeed Mohammed Nijabalu, or whatever the heck, I don't know how you say that name. I don't know. Yeah, that's a ooh, that's that's a, a towelhead name. name if I've ever heard one. All right, <laughs> he was subsequently overthrown. The Mujahideen Alliance, forming a new Afghan government led by Burhanuddin Rabbani as interim president, failed to reach the political unity and ended up fighting one another. Yeah. I mean, so basically, during the end of the Cold War, um, the Soviets were trying trying to uh, control uh, Afghanistan because of all the rich mineral resources there and uranium and stuff. And so the CIA got involved, and uh, we formed Delta Force, um, and we trained up the... Um, the Taliban gave them weapons, gave them funding, um, even helped them with uh, the drug trade there as far as networking and stuff because that's where a huge amount of the world's opium comes from. Um, and yeah, we did this in Afghanistan. We also set up the Al- uh, Al-Qaeda. Um, the CIA had a more direct involvement in that from the ground up rather than co-opting the Taliban um, instead of actually founding it. Um, So basically, what the Taliban is today would not exist if it wasn't for the United States involving itself in in, uh, Afghanistan back in the 1980s. Always got a medal in something. Yeah. And then we we fast-forward into the uh, 1990s, and we see there was a succession dispute in Qatar, um, a, another country in the Middle East. And um, we were, you know, the United States got involved because the, just, the reason given was that um, there was fear that uh, if this succession dispute wasn't resolved quickly, that it would destabilize the entire region. Really a bunch of BS. Um, it was really just a pretext for us to um, uh, start the permanent occupation of the Middle East. Um, so what happened was they had the succession dispute. Um, we made a bunch of deals with like the the Afghani government and uh, Pakistani government and various governments around the region, Saudi Arabia as well. And we um, said, hey, we're going to establish some temporary military bases here to help resolve this uh Qatar um succession dispute. Um 
and then once it's over, we're going to leave. Well, it's 2021, we still haven't left. Even though the succession dispute was over, like, very quickly. Gotta love Forever Wars, man. It's trickery, man. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason why this is important is because you gotta think about it from these people's perspective. Uh, basically, they allowed foreign troops to establish military bases to assist them in resolving a dispute so that there wasn't a bunch of extra bloodshed, but they just never left. I mean, imagine if imagine if there was some um like in like in 2020, you know, with the dispute over the election as to who actually won, imagine if Chinese troops came over uh to help resolve the dispute, founded bases here and they just never left. Yeah, it's kind of a, if you look at it from a different perspective, we were kind of just putting ourselves there. Yeah, we were just, we were just dominating them, basically. And uh, no wonder they're mad at us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so because we wouldn't leave, um, we started having a lot of issues with Islamic groups over there. They were rapidly growing because you know they were formed all these islamic groups over there these militant groups were formed to fight off foreign invaders because the the soviets right well all of a sudden we were the new foreign invaders hmm funny how that works yeah yeah and so this ended up um uh with a bunch of conflicts and stuff violence and and things um in the middle east uh, with U.S. forces, and so we started bombing the hell out of the Middle East. We've been bombing Yemen since the 1990s. We've been bombing Afghanistan for decades, like way before the war in Afghanistan. We've been bombing all these different countries over there, right? And so this led up to the uh, World Trade, uh, the original World Trade Center bombing in the 1990s, right? Um, you know, and this was explicitly, it was explicitly stated that this was carried out because, uh, you know, that, that U.S. troops have been occupying these Muslim countries over there and that we broke our promise. And then after, after the World Trade Center in the 1990s, then we get to the moment that I'm sure everybody is, is familiar with, 9-11. Yep. Um. And you know what? You know what's crazy is uh, Ron Paul warned us all about this. He warned us for years. The great Ron Paul warned us that if we keep occupying these countries over there way past when we said we would, and and we keep bombing the hell out of these countries over there, and and drone striking them into oblivion, you know, killing their sons and daughters, um, we're gonna face what the CIA calls blowback and the cia had been had been you know warning about this too um you know as terrible as they are at least you know they uh they would talk about the principle of blowback right so 9-11 is kind of a complicated issue though because to be quite frank it was an inside job yep yep bush did 9-11 <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, now, that does not mean that there wasn't a real hijacking of the aircraft that crashed in the Twin Towers. But, yeah. and we don't want to get too deep into it. We'll do a 9-11 episode someday. Um, Go down the rabbit hole on that one. Oh, yeah. It goes deep. <laughs> um. But needless to say, it was a controlled demolition that actually took the Twin Towers down as well as Building 7. Um, and the United States was warned about these, that there was going to be a hijacking that uh, was going to occur from these um, uh, Islamic uh, militants and uh, that they were going to, that they were planning on crashing uh, aircraft into the World Trade Center. The German intelligence had warned us about this. The British intelligence had warned about, warned us about this. The Russian intelligence, Israeli intelligence, the FBI. But we didn't do anything about it. And, uh, and so, in other words, we allowed this to happen. So they, they crashed these planes into the World Trade Center. And we were prepared because we had lined the buildings with explosives to make sure that the most damage was done possible to tug on America's heartstrings, get people behind a, an unnecessary war, and we, we blew them up, murdered thousands of people. It's literally human sacrifice, man. Yeah, man. They sacrificed Americans on the altar of of a forever war in the Middle East just so they could, you know, the CIA could get a, get control over more opium production in Afghanistan. Uh, we could make more money with oil. We could make more money, you know, for Halliburton and, and the, uh, uh, Raytheon, these weapons contract contractors and stuff. Yeah. It's ridiculous, man. Ridiculous. And these guys, man, they came from, there was 19 of them, and they came from Saudi Arabia. 15 of them came from Saudi Arabia. Two of them from the United Arab Emirates, and one was from Lebanon, and the other one was from Egypt. Yeah, so We're over in Afghanistan. Yeah, none of them were from Afghanistan. They all were funded and trained by the Saudis. But we couldn't invade Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia is our ally. Ridiculous, yeah. 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 It's is completely disingenuous. Um and so the pretext that was given for the invasion of Afghanistan was that, oh, well, we we basically blamed bin Laden about uh for the attacks. Whether or not he was actually behind it is really kinda unclear. Uh he very well might have been, but there's really not evidence for it. Um at least not much hard evidence. Um, and so because the Taliban uh, wouldn't give over, they wouldn't give up bin Laden directly to the United States, uh, that was the justification given to invade. But what's crazy about that is, is the Taliban was willing. They were willing, even before... We presented any kind of evidence to them that, that bin Laden was guilty or that he was even a legitimate suspect or even that we had proof that the Taliban had anything to do with it whatsoever. 
um, they were all willing so that they you know wouldn't have to deal with the U.S. military. They were willing to give up um, Bin Laden to a any number of fellow Muslim countries that all of them, in order to uh, preserve diplomatic relations in the United States, most assuredly would have extradited Bin Laden to the United States. It's just the Taliban was trying to save face. They didn't want to, you know, I mean, they're, they're all about keeping foreigners out of, out of Afghanistan and out of Pakistan. And so um, they, don't, they didn't want to be seen as, you know, betraying a fellow Muslim to some non-Muslims. So in order to save face, they were going to give up um, this Muslim leader uh, who was also a CIA asset, by the way, at one time, um, to a fellow Muslim uh, nation. So, yeah, it's crazy. It's just the justification that was given, even that isn't legitimate. Yeah. 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 So... <clears throat> Then we, of course, deployed in 2001, um, and it was really a debacle from the beginning. You know, we went in, and just like any, you know, it was, and basically victory was declared very quickly, but um, given that the Taliban is a, it's an insurgent group, they, of course, fled into the hills, right, because that's how you fight guerrilla warfare. And then they continued a long um, fight of resistance against the invaders. Uh, and of course, this is when, 2001, this is when um, the military came up with the hearts and minds strategy. The idea behind this being that um, not only would we be trying to uh, kill members of the Taliban and hunt them down and stuff, we would also be pouring billions and billions and billions and even trillions of dollars into Afghanistan. What we would prop up a new government there that was stable. We would give them free elections. We would um, build schools over there and hospitals and infrastructure and all this stuff. And that by doing that, uh, that they would learn to love us basically and see us as our liberators. <laughs> It's kind of ridiculous sounding, man. Yeah, yeah. It's of course that was also how we tried to fight the Vietnam War. That didn't work out well either. So, um, I read this really fantastic book in preparation for this episode by uh, Scott Horton. I highly recommend any of Scott Horton's books. Scott Horton is the foremost expert in the world on U.S. foreign policy to any country in the Middle East. He is Middle Eastern foreign policy extraordinaire. Um, and he wrote this book called Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan. And um, I'm going to read here an excerpt. It's a quote from um, a specialist of the military by the name of Kyle Steiner. Um, and he's speaking to a journalist named Sebastian Younger. Uh, who made a, uh, a documentary about Korangal in 2014. Um, here we go. <clears throat> you know, this whole go in there and act like their friend thing doesn't work, especially when you've got, you know, 
the Afghani that we caught trying to put the roadside bomb, the IED just spitting on us and calling us infidel and stuff. You know, hearts and minds is out the window then. Hearts and minds goes out the window when you see the guy shooting at you, and then he puts his wife and kids in front of him knowing full well that we won't shoot back. Or the guy who shakes our hand, takes 10 bags of rice we give him for his family, and school supplies, and coats, and immediately walks up the mountain and shoots an RPG at us. Walks back down and smiles at us the next morning when he's walking his goats. His heart and his mind. Wow. Yeah, man. And that's, you know, that's, that's the, really the story from, you know, from the ground. Not what the media wanted to present to us, and certainly not what the government wanted to present to us. Yeah. Somebody's actually out there doing the government's bidding. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. I've got a, a couple more quotes here. All right. Um, here we go. Here we go. All right. So, in 2009... 33 civilians were killed in two separate massacres in the village of, Gor- of Garlock. The first was an airstrike that targeted the wrong house in a case of mistaken identity. The second, U.S. forces attempting to raid a home shot a dog and then concerned neighbor who had come out to investigate the noise or intervene to help. And then another, and another, and another, ultimately killing 17 civilians. After the government backed down from their initial claims that, quote, most of the dead were, quote, militants, they offered condolence payments of $2,000 to the survivors of the second attack. That's what our lives are worth to you, Americans? $2,000? You want to kill us and then pay us to keep us quiet? Malek Hazrat railed to journalist Anand Gopal. My daughter is buried in the ground. A nearby old man added, You can give me every doll on earth, but I won't touch it. It won't bring her back. The rest of the village gave up and fled their homes en masse to a makeshift refugee camp of tarps and plastic on the side of the road to Pakistan, where they have been left to scavenge and beg to survive. Wow. Yeah, man. This is just absolute foolhardiness. I mean the let's say let's say that all this strategizing and and the way that we wage the wars in Afghanistan let's say that it was actually um that it was benevolent that it was that they had the right intentions mm-hmm. if they had the right intentions they were absolutely 100% incompetent and did not understand the reality of, the, of of you know the Afghani people, and like I don't really feel too terribly bad for them. I mean, because you know they're not my people, but it goes to explain why they hate us so much. <laughs> well, yeah, it's common sense, man. Like you go over there, people are growing up in that, like it's forming people to hate us, like. Yeah. I mean they're literally they're growing. I mean, you know, by the end by the end of of you know, by by now, right? Cuz the the war in Afghanistan's been going on for two decades now. 
there are men of military age that literally have been growing up in a country that has been occupied by foreign troops, that has been bombing the country constantly, that has been pushing Drag Queen Story Hour over there, that has been, you know, liberating the women, unquote, and, and you know, committing acts of, of, you know, forbidden acts against their religion, right? Mm-hmm. And, and empowering these people over there who are a bunch of pedophiles in their government, that they, they've grown up in that. That's all they know their entire lives now. Yeah, military age males over there. Do you really think that they're not going to go and join the Taliban if they have any sense of honor and decency? Yeah, that's a different way of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, what would you do if there were Chinese troops mar- marching down the street in uh, in Texas? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you'd be like, wait, hold up, no. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and, and and all the politicians they were imposing upon you were a bunch of pedophiles that were, you know, uh, using the police to arrest people to bring them freaking sex slaves that were your children. Like, how would you feel? <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I've got one more quote here on this topic. Um, um, <clears throat> uh, this is uh basically paraphrasing what a an was said in an interview with some uh, Marines um, on the ground of Marja, uh, which is a city in Afghanistan where a, a battle took place. The other Marines explained, the locals would always prefer the Taliban to the Americans for the simple reason that the Taliban are their husbands, sons, and neighbors, while the U.S. Army and the U.S. Marine Corps are from 10 million miles away. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, I'm not trying to make out the Taliban to be these good guys. Yeah. Because they're not moral people. But if we're talking purely about a justification for fighting, the Taliban is justified and we are not. We went over there. We attacked them. We invaded. We imposed global homo government on them. Right? And all they did was try to kick us out of their country. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that makes me an anti-American or whatever. I'm not a patriot, you know, or I'm siding with the terrorists. Well, quite frankly, we're the terrorists over there. Yeah. I, you know, we should, shouldn't be there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, ugh, man, yeah. And not only that, you know, the all these dollars that we've been sending over there, billions and billions and billions of dollars. I mean, if I remember right, it was like after $2 trillion in trying to um, rebuild, I think it was Kabul over there after we bombed the hell out of it, they still didn't have running water or... um uh, yeah, they they still didn't have running water, right? And disease was rampant, and half the city was still burned out. But hey, we gave them a free Wi-Fi network. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, most of these people over there are living in the Stone Age. Like, people don't even realize just the, the pomposity of freaking American politicians, man. It's ridiculous. It's a big game to them, man. Yeah. 
Yeah, they live in their little ivory tower. I mean, hell, most of the troop deployments that uh, happened during the war in Afghanistan were made from some freaking office, cushy little office in uh, Washington, D.C., from, you know, people that had never been over there, you know, and that it was just a matter of, you know, uh, uh, pushing some paperwork through. I mean, it's complete and utter incompetence, man, from top to bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, expecting the government to be competent is asking a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely true, man. So on the topic of, um, you know, the dollars that we wasted over there, and I, I've got another quote here from this really excellent book. I cannot stress enough how um, good this book is, Fool's Errand, if you want to learn about the reality of the war in Afghanistan. <clears throat> So this will give you an idea of um, how U.S. money was spent over there that we were giving them in foreign aid. As far as the failure of the State Department and associated civilian agencies and organizations to extend their reach to the majority of the people, in the end, it is just as well. As Astri Circa showed in When More is Less, the international project in Afghanistan, U.S. money spent on nation-building projects only makes every problem worse, not better. The best-case scenario is that the money is simply wasted, burned, or dumped in a black hole before it falls directly into the hands of the insurgency. Without peace, reconstruction achieves no results other than worsening corruption. Authors of a late 2016 Cigar Report agreed that U.S. aid had not helped but in fact had sabotaged the nation-building effort in Afghanistan by fueling the rise of one of the most corrupt and ineffective governments on the face of the earth. Karzai, uh, he was uh, uh, the first president that we installed over there. Um, Karzai routinely complained that the provincial reconstruction teams were building, quote, parallel government institutions which undermined the authority of the national government. Yet the more help the U.S. provided to Kabul the more he appeared to be nothing but a puppet of NATO, undermining his authority even further. Eikenberry later wrote, the more resources the Americans threw into the Af Afghan cauldron, the more Karzai felt compelled to burnish his own nativist credentials by lashing out at what he decried as pernicious U.S. influence. Ultimately, a Cohen approach is predicated on the general alignment of the foreign and host nations overarching political and military military strategies. And this was simply not the case in Afghanistan. So in other words, the narrative that we were trying to push on the, on the Afghani people, right? That we were there as liberators and that we were giving them, giving the, you know, propping up this government over there to help them and whatnot. At the same time, the government over there, even the president that we had installed over there, was saying, you know, that that the money and the assistance and stuff that the U.S. government had been giving to the Afghani government was was wrong, and that it was, you know, that they were basically just trying to buy off the government and influence it in directions that are in, you know, in U.S. interests but not in Afghani interests. Is basically the point of that quote. 
you know, and that's only that's only in the cases when the the freaking U.S. dollars weren't you know embezzled by corrupt Afghan officials or just you know thrown away um, on drugs or something over there. Wow. Yeah, man, it's just a big money pit over there. Um, and we also need to touch on speaking of drugs the opium production in Afghanistan. Because, see, before we went to Afghanistan, um, opium, you know, poppy fields, uh, that was the number one cash crop in Afghanistan because they're very easy to grow, and they grow very well in Afghanistan. And so a lot of these people over there are literally living in the Stone Age. You know, a lot of them are literally using stone stone tools and stuff. Not not all, not all by any means, but a, a significant portion of the population over there. And so you have a lot of these farmers over there that are just dirt poor. Um, and so their ability to produce opium uh, is is fundamental to their lifestyle. You know, they're, you know, being able to survive. So, um, but when we went over there, well, let me just read you this quote so you understand. Um, Taxes on poppy farmers and opium producers provide hundreds of millions of dollars per year in revenue for the Taliban. And yet attempt by the Kabul government or U.S. forces to eradicate it just enrages the population and increases support for their insurgency. As Reagan-era NSC official Oliver North wrote for Fox News, Marja was also to be the test case for the American Drug Enforcement Agency's surge-era effort to eradicate poppy crops and bribe local farmers not to harvest the crops they had already sown. DEA Administrator Michelle Leonard who North claimed may have made the most important contribution to bringing it in to the Taliban, told Fox, The DEA is completely committed to winning this battle. Our blood has been spilled here. Locking up corrupt officials involved with narcotics is not only good for the people of Afghanistan, it's good for these Marines and the American people too. Wow. The U.S. has spent at least $8.4 billion in Afghanistan trying to abolish poppy farming since 2001. As NBC News reported in 2015, over the same time frame, Afghan opium had grown from 70 to 90% of the world black market supply. It is now a more than $3 billion per year industry. Cigar explained Afghan farmers are growing more opium than ever. The Afghan insurgency received significant funding from participating in and taxing the illicit narcotics trade, raising the question of whether the Afghan government can ever prevail without tackling the narcotics problem. Yet, U.S. attempts to clamp down on poppy cultivation and Afghan officials' increased ability to extort bribes from those seeking exceptions have also helped drive Pashtun peasant farmers into the arms of the Taliban insurgency for protection. In other words, what was often happening over there is the U.S. government would go over there and we would bribe these farmers not to grow poppies, right? Not to grow poppies for opium. And most of them, you know, they're living hand to mouth 
and the poppy fields are their only source of income. So a lot of times they'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll not, uh, you know, I'll stop growing poppies. Uh, and then they would just grow them anyways. Um, and then if, in the rare case where the DEA, because this was happening so often, they couldn't enforce it, really. I mean, they can't even enforce drug laws over here. How do you think they're going to enforce them 2,000 miles away on the other side of the world? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know the cra and even to think about this, right? They're not happy enough wasting money, you know, gold and, and freaking oh my goodness, just wasting ungodly amounts of money in the drug war over here. Oh, well, we just have to expand the drug war to Afghanistan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so these these farmers they just go ahead and sell the poppies, right? And then and then if the DEA actually comes around and tries to you know shut it down, shut down their operation, well, they have no other way to survive. So what do they do? Well, they can just go into the mountains, join the Taliban, and they'll be taken care of as long as they, you know, they fight the people that went and took away their livelihood. <laughs> like, it's such a no-brainer. Like, it's, it's not... These people don't join the Taliban because they hate our freedom. They don't give a crap about our freedom. Supposed freedom. I mean... Supposed freedom. <laughs> yeah, they just... Want us out of their country because they don't want to, They don't want a freaking. Um, they don't want a, a GAE style government over there, you know, with <laughs> the drag queen story hour and all that crap. Yeah, all the American degeneracy over there. Plus, where you know they don't they they do not like foreigners, especially foreigners who are not Muslim. You know, taking over their country, as you know anybody. Anybody would feel kind of checked off about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and so I've also got this article here specifically about Ahmed Wali Karzai. Um, so this, this man, so he's not the, the same Karzai that was the president of Afghanistan. This is his brother, right? The former president's brother. So this guy is, um, he's he's a, a a businessman and politician, uh, over in Afghanistan. I mean, he's dead now, but um, he's a businessman and politician over there. And what's interesting about this guy is that, uh, he like everybody in Afghanistan knew that this guy was the head of the freaking opium network in Afghanistan. Um, now, he never got convicted on any of this stuff, but it's so, he was sort of like the Al Capone of Afghanistan. Okay. But we were giving this dude loads and loads and loads and loads of U.S. dollars. He was one of, you know how, you know how they've been talking about how we need to pull our Afghan allies out of, out of Afghanistan? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this is one of them. I mean, if he would, he's dead now, but like people like this are the people that we're pulling out. Just the most corrupt, disgusting kind of people on the planet. 
I mean, some of the worst people you'll ever find. You know, these are these are our allies that we need to bring back, supposedly, and give U.S. citizenship status. So, um, now one of the most depraved aspects of the people that we're putting in power over there is the rampant pedophilia. And the uh, I have an article here from 2015. <clears throat> so, titled the article, Military Overlooked Sexual Abuse by Afghan Allies Investigation Says. And I'm going to read a pretty good chunk of this article. It's, it's pretty, well, pretty well written. Um, <clears throat> the practice in Afghanistan of bakabazi a term that literally translates to mean boy play. That's not what it literally translates to, though. It, bakabazi means dancing boy, but it's sort of playing, though, for boy play. Um, is taking a toll on the conscience of American soldiers who, according to the, a New York Times investigation published Sunday, have been told to ignore such sexual abuse even when it occurs on U.S. military outposts there. Um, so, the report focuses in part on the case of Dan Quinn, a former Special Forces captain in Afghanistan who is relieved from his duties after beating up a U.S.-backed Afghan militia leader who had been spending his wages on, quote, dancing boys, even keeping a young boy chained to his bed as a sex slave. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. The, and then here's a quote from, from Dan Quinn. The reason we were here is because we heard the terrible things the Taliban were doing to people, how they were taking away human rights, Quinn told the Times. But we were putting people into power who would do, the th who, who would do things that were even worse than what the Taliban did. In fact, and this is kind of interesting, this is from the uh, Fool's Errand book by Scott Horton, again, <clears throat> By 2016, see, this, is, this gives you an idea of how, how sort of like how in Kenosha, when um, Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, he shot three uh, Antifa members, BLM members, that had attacked him. And <laughs> you, you freaking, you hit, what, what was it, two pedophiles and a domestic abuser? <laughs> yeah i mean that's how common pedophilia and and you know just rotten human beings are among the left well this this is how common pedophilia is among the government that we had put in power in afghanistan by 2016 america had done so much to empower serial child rapists that the Taliban decided to start using honey traps of children to lure, ambush, and kill Afghani police. Three American Marines have also been murdered by one of their Afghan national police allies, young sex slaves, though it is unclear if he was just recruited to do so by the Taliban or other insurgent groups or had just taken the opportunity to do so on his own. The Bakabazi, or Dancing Boys, are the police chief's biggest weakness, a former official told French media in June 2016, explaining 
how the Taliban would recruit these young boys who would then drug, poison, and even shoot their U.S.-backed slave masters. If these policemen cannot find a steady supply of boys to rape who will not suddenly turn around and kill them in their sleep, then they could be alienated from their U.S. partners, undermining the military's entire strategy there. In other words, if, if U.S. soldiers were to do anything to stop our, our, quote, Afghan allies from brutally raping these young boys and keeping them, you know, as basically sex toys, um, then, they, you know, they would be reprimanded because it would undermine our, our, our ability to keep our allies on board, basically to keep them on our side because, you know, a big part of the reason why they're on our side are, is because um, we kept them in power, number one. We, we kept their position secure and we turned a blind eye to their pedophilia. So if we stop turning a blind eye to their pedophilia, in other words, if some of our U.S. soldiers did something about it, well, then you get court-martialed. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And it, this happens several times, man, of soldiers getting, especially Marines, you know, who grew up in Texas. And, you know, in the United States, man, if you see some, some dude brutally raping some young boy, I mean... Any man worth his salt is going to go over there and beat the living hell out of that guy. No, yeah. You're going to do something about it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, do you, can you really blame these guys from going over there? And when they see something like that happening constantly, that, you know, they feel like, well, you know what? Screw what the my CEO says. I can't handle this anymore. I got to do something about this because I actually have a conscience. Yeah. 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 And this this gets this gets even crazier, right? So we've got this other article here. Headline says revealed uh CIA gave pedophile Afghan warlords Viagra so they could rape more boys more often. What? Yeah, now this is this came out pretty recently. This was exposed just recently here. So and it's it's interesting the first the first like line of this article is the Taliban's rise to power was fueled in part by their opposition to the systematic rape of young boys by Afghan tribal chiefs. You know, the, the Afghanis are not good people, like the Taliban are not good people, but at least they're not they're not fans of, you know, homosexual pedophiles, even though a lot of them are other kinds of pedophiles you know, heterosexual pedophiles, but they certainly don't like the gay ones. Yeah. Yeah. So, in quote, from 2015, in Afghanistan, soldiers and Marines were troubled that instead of weeding out pedophiles, the American military was arming them, in some cases, and placing them as the commanders of villages. Taliban banned pedophilia, but the new government brought it back. It's just... Oh here oh here here's another here's another quote. Okay. <clears throat> this is from um okay, I'll just read it here. Uh at night we can hear them screaming, but we're not allowed to do anything about it, the Marine's father 
Gregory Buckley Sr. recalled his son telling him before he was shot to death at the base in 2012. He, uh, this is the Marine, by the way, that was referenced in that quote from the Scott Horton book. Um, he urged his son to tell his superiors, quote, my son said that his officers told him to look the other way because, quote, we have to respect their culture. Wow. Nope. Yeah. Not yeah. happening. Uh, that's diversity and empowerment for you, man. Gotta respect their culture. You don't want to be an ethnocentrist. Yeah, man, it's just absolutely horrendous. And, and you know, and to top it all off, right, the CIA was bribing these these um, you know, Afghani tribal chiefs and these police officers and stuff that we had installed over there with Viagra. That's it's, yeah, because it's hard to get over there. You know, a lot of these guys are like 60, 70 years old. So, you know, sometimes they have a little, it's a little hard for them to get it up so that they can go and rape their boy slave. Oh my gosh. That's just sick, man. Sick. Yeah. It's absolutely disgusting. But hey, it's the gay American empire, man. Gay American empire. So... Uh, furthermore, and this is not explicitly tied to the war in Afghanistan, but it did happen in connection with it. Um, U.S. burns Bibles in Afghanistan row. So basically what happened was uh, there were, you know, all these prisoners, uh, these Taliban members and stuff that uh, we had been keeping in prison, uh we had a lot of, you know, Christian soldiers that were working in these prisons. And, of course, as any Christian should do, they were sharing the gospel with these guys. And, um, you know, it's a standard operating procedure to make sure that these prisons are, are supplied with various religious books, including Bibles. Right? So, um, what happened was these soldiers were handing out these Bibles uh, to um, these prisoners over there, right, and sharing the gospel with them. And some, some, some assholes <laughs> higher up in the command structure heard about this and got, you know, got a craw in their britches and um, decided that this was inappropriate, right, because... The U.S. military is expressly forbidden to proselytize for any kind of religion, quote, religion, faith, or practice. Right? <clears throat> so, so, what they did was they stopped, um, the soldiers stopped sharing the gospel with them, but they didn't stop giving them the Bibles. Right? So, I know at least prior to this, it was considered uh, okay to pass out religious literature as long as like all forms of religious literature were available, you know, not just Christian literature. It's kind of the same way that like prisons for, you know, U.S. citizens work, right? Like, so, and you're allowed, so you're allowed to pass them out. Well, they changed the policy, and in order to be, quote, sensitive to, 
sensitive to the religion of of these freaking prisoners, right? These Taliban members. They went and hunted down all of the Bibles that had been handed out and all of the places that the Bibles were being stored, and they went and burned them. What the heck? Yeah, man. And this was determined by a U.S. Army colonel, quote, this was the best way to deal with it. It was to burn the Bibles. This is gay American empire, man. And this is 2009, by the way, that this happened. Wow. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, this is... Oh, it's brutal, man. It's really sad what's happened in this country, man. We used to be an explicitly Christian country. But then we just had to turn all secular. Yeah. yeah which just basically means atheist. So, we should also cover... So, so this was, you know, Bush Jr. was the, was the president... That oversaw nine eleven, of course, and and the initiation of the war in Afghanistan, right? And then we had Obama. Obama just basically continued what uh, uh, Bush was doing, but more so, he got Bush us into further 2.0. wars. Yeah, he got us in, into wars in Libya. He got us in, you know, got us into war in um, um, Iraq. Um, we had the issue with Syria. You know, it was just. And then we had the Iran issues, and that uh, fortunately that did uh, one of the few things that Obama did do right was he uh, came to an understanding with Iran and actually uh, managed to um, help to denuclearize Iran. So, oh yeah, yeah. Now Trump. Trump was great in that he brought a bunch of our troops home. He didn't bring them all home, unfortunately. Uh, but he, what he did do was he did um, increase the, the bombings in Afghanistan, unfortunately. Uh, but I want to read real quick three separate quotes from um, some of Donald Trump's speeches and interviews and such. Um, and it'll show you, you know, as much as, you know, I, the patriarchal bigots are kind of fans of Trump, right? I mean, would you say you're a fan of Trump? I'm pro-Trump. Yeah. Yeah, same. I'm, I'm, I'd say I'm like 70-30 pro-Trump. Um, so, <clears throat> uh, January 14th, 2013, quote, Can you believe that the Afghan war is our longest war ever? Bring our troops home. Rebuild the U.S. Make America great again. This is what he ran on, man. Yeah. Yeah, and then, and then again during his campaign, October 4th, 2015, we spent $2 trillion in Iraq, probably a trillion in Afghanistan. We're destroying our country. We owe $19 trillion. We're bogged down. Russia was bogged down in Afghanistan, meaning the Soviet Union. It broke up the Soviet Union. And then, after he got elected, Donald Trump, March 4th, 2016. Wait. No, that was... Was that before he got elected? Wait, they hold... No, th yeah, this is before he got elected. This is after he got the nomination. That's right. 
After he got the Republican nomination, he says, uh, on March 4, 2016, I think you have to stay in Afghanistan for a while. Hmm. Yeah. He flip-flopped on that. Yeah. And, and it's really sad because what, you know, the, really the two main issues that got Trump elected were being anti-war. He wanted to end the forever wars and bring back our boys. Mm-hmm. And he was anti-immigration and wanted to secure the border. I mean, those were really the two main things. Because yeah. Americans were sick of war, man. And I'm sick of war, man. And it's yeah. really, it really pisses me off that it looks like we're, we're going... We're, I mean, we basically already are. We're at war in Afghanistan still. And they yeah, just ramped back. it back up. We yeah. were, we were, it, it, it just makes you wonder, like, their whole goals at the end of the day. This is all probably planned. Oh, yeah. I'm convinced that, um, I can't prove this, but I'm, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that, that, um, the, the, the botched pullout of Afghanistan mm-hmm. was planned and that the collapse was planned. Yeah. Yeah. There's too many, like, it, it just, just crazy, man. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that the violence was planned. Like, I don't think the Taliban fighting was planned. Mm-hmm. Um, but how bad it was, like, how sloppy it was pulling out and, like, the disgrace and stuff to the U.S. military. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was planned. So, anyways, point is... So, Trump increased drone strikes in Afghanistan, right? Now, not not during his whole presidency, but but a good you know good majority of his presidency, uh, he increased drone strikes. You know, so he was he was passing himself off as somebody who was you know trying to end the war in Afghanistan, right? And he was using he was citing. The fact that he had reduced troop numbers over there, which is great. I, I laud him for reducing the number of troops. But one of the biggest um, uh, reasons why the, why the Taliban hates us is because we keep bombing and killing their children and women and, you know, husbands and all that stuff. So, yeah, he just he just, you know, less of one and more of the other. <clears throat> So, yeah. right. So, uh, uh, as of 2018, um, Obama launched 186 drone strikes in Yemen, Somalia, and Pakistan during his first two years. In Trump's first two years, he launched 238. Right. Um, uh, Trump carried out 176 drone strikes in Yemen. Um, Compared with 154 there during all eight years of Obama's tenure. So, I mean, and it goes on. It goes on to, like, um, break down the numbers and stuff. But, you know, Trump was not as anti-war as he put, passed himself off to be. And that's really a shame. Yeah, it really is, man. Now, what he did do that was fantastic Towards the end of his term, he signed a truce, a ceasefire with the Taliban. And the way he was, get, he was able to get them to agree to this, 
was he set down a timetable of how you know when and how many troops we were going to withdraw until they were all gone until we had officially ended the war in Afghan you know, after until we had officially ended the occupation of Afghanistan yeah and the, you know and this is exactly what the Taliban wanted they just wanted the bombing to stop and they wanted the occupation to stop it's those two things right and <clears throat> so um this is great so so uh Trump started this he got this ceasefire done um and unfortunately what happened with Biden that's led up to the present crisis and we'll get into this later in uh a little bit more but he violated the agreement that was made even though he went on national television and claimed that he was following it he did violate the agreement that was made because you know he started uh 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 more drone strikes and stuff to provoke the the Taliban and then no wonder they want you know they want to start start back up fighting us yeah yeah it's it's all man it's all lies and freaking deception it's disgusting yeah so and another thing <laughs> another thing so most of the terror attacks muslim terror attacks that have happened in the united states have not been because directly because of the war in afghanistan however some of them have been and some of them have been from the war in iraq and some of them have been from you know our bombing of yemen and some of them have been from you know egypt and libya and all that stuff people that are pissed off that we destroyed their country you know or that we are occupying their country um now terrorism is never justified but it makes sense of you know why it's happening and and this is not to say that if we just stopped these wars over there that we wouldn't have an issue with muslims in our country yeah we really shouldn't be letting them in anyway there's a reason that they yeah yeah i mean there's a reason that they lash out um that they think that terrorism is justified, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even though what we're doing in the Middle East is wrong, like it's still, like That's I was saying, it still doesn't make it topic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I wanted to read here about the Pulse nightclub because I think it's um, uh, really interesting. Well, fir- first I'm going to read about blowback, and then I'm going to read specifically about the Pulse nightclub shooting from uh, again Fool's Errand by Scott Horton. All right. Davis, uh, by the way, Davis was a, make sure, make sure I get this right. Um, Davis was a general, uh, oh, sorry, Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis of the U.S. Army. He wrote a, uh, a classified whistleblowers report on the war in Afghanistan. <clears throat> And here's a here's a little excerpt from it. It says Davis later elaborated that in the late surge era, when he served his second Afghan tour, violence was increasing, not diminishing. And he clarified that this was certainly not incidental, 
but directly due to the movement of troops into areas where they had never previously been stationed, creating situations, quote, where people who would normally never join the Taliban, end quote, did. Davis told the story of one Taliban regional commander who got angry under questioning and told his interrogators, quote, Hey, I didn't want to join the Taliban, but you guys came in, and as part of your operations, more violence was brought into my era. area. Some of my family members were killed by U.S. or allied Afghan National Army forces or police, and I have an obligation to try to protect them. So you drove me into the Taliban. Hmm. Yeah, man. Interesting. Yeah. And on the topic of the Pulse nightclub, I assume you, you probably remember the Pulse nightclub shooting, right? Yeah. That's one of the more recent things that's happened. Yeah, this is down in uh, Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so this kind of breaks down what actually... Um, it's a fairly long quote, but it's, it's really interesting, and it really um, encapsulates some of the, the terror attacks and, and why blowback is such a big issue. Um, Omar Mateen, the American-born perpetrator of the horrific Orlando Pulse nightclub massacre of June 2016, explicitly told witnesses he was, quote, taking revenge for the continuing U.S. war in Afghanistan, the country of his family's origin. Quote, when I saw his picture on the news, I thought, of course, he did that, a co-worker of Mateen told New York Newsday. Quote, he had bad things to say about everybody. Blacks, Jews, gays, a lot of politicians, our soldiers, he had a lot of hate of him. He told, he told me America destroyed Afghanistan. End quote. A young woman named Patience Carter, who was shot in the leg by Mateen and held hostage in the bathroom of the club for three hours with a gunman, said, The motive was very clear to us who are laying in our own blood and other people's blood, who are injured, who were shot. Everybody who was in the bathroom who survived could hear him talking to 9-11, could hear him talking to 9-1-1, saying the reason why he's doing this is because he wanted America to stop bombing his country. In the middle of committing the, his atrocity, Mant Mateen slaughtered 49 people and wounded 53. He stopped to post on his Facebook page, quote, you kill innocent women and children by doing U.S. airstrikes. Now taste the Islamic State vengeance. The transcript of his call to 9-1-1, released much later after all the attention died down, is more explicit. As Mateen declared his loyalty to the leaders of ISIS, he explained his demands, quote, you have to tell America to stop bombing Syria and Iraq. They are killing a lot of innocent people. What am I to do here when my people are getting killed over there? You get what I'm saying? You need to stop the U.S. airstrikes. They need to stop the U.S. airstrikes, okay? You have to tell the U.S. government to stop bombing. They are killing too many children. They are killing too many women, okay? I feel the pain of the world getting killed in Syria, in Iraq, and all over the Muslim world. A lot of innocent women and children are getting killed in Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan, okay? The government's narrative was that Omar Mateen was a wife-beating psychopath and bully who had issues with his sexuality and that particular nightclub. 
but all evidence is that the attack was political. Mateen could have gotten in drunken fistfights his whole short life long, but instead he chose to sign on with the agendas of Syrian Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State and attack a crowded nightclub as a strike against the United States. Mateen specifically cited the perpetual occupation and bombing of Afghanistan as he slaughtered dozens of innocent Americans, showing the strong possibility that these kinds of plots and attacks will keep happening. The government said U.S. forces were, quote, fighting them over there so we don't have to fight them here, end quote. Instead, the war over there is causing more and more of this deadly backdraft against us here. Hmm. Yeah, man. So, that pretty much wraps up um, the bulk of the war in Afghanistan. And it's the kind of... Um, encapsulating the history of Afghanistan Af now that you have an idea of the war in Afghanistan. Uh, here are some numbers for you. Um, so, um, okay, so here's some, some, some statistics. Uh, percentage of U.S. population born since the 2001 attacks plotted by al-Qaeda leaders who were sheltering in Afghanistan supposedly that's who did it uh, roughly one out of every four the one out of every four americans alive now was born after the war in afghanistan began wow yeah man that's absolutely insane as far as the number of people who have died american service members killed in afghanistan through april uh, 2,448 U.S. contractors, 3,846 Afghan National Army military and police, who really cares, but 66,000 um, other allied service members, including from other NATO member states, who really cares, but 1,144 Afghan civilians. Now, this is really low, because I know for a fact that it's much, much higher than this. It's in the upper hundreds of thousands but the according to the associated press it's only 47,245 this is probably just the number of afghan civilians that were killed directly by us or nato troops not from the fallout of all this like the starvation and and oh, um, yeah. yeah all that good stuff uh uh, 51,191 Taliban and other opposition fighters have died. Who cares? But um, 444 aid workers, 72 journalists. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's cost the United States quite a bit. Um, and, of course, financially, it's cost the United States an absolute ungodly amount. So, and I know this number... Uh, uh, is is not a hundred percent accurate. It's a slightly higher, but um, estimated amount of direct Afghanistan and Iraq war costs that the United States has debt, excuse me, debt financed as of 2020. In other words, only only the amount of the expenses for the war in Afghanistan that we did not cover under our budgets that they were 
taken out, you know, loans were taken out or money was printed or such to pay for it. Two trillion dollars. What? Yeah. And and the interest on that, uh, assuming that we don't pay it all off, uh, it by 2050, that'll be $6.5 trillion. Now, I mean, it, it it's just... <sighs> It's just an ungodly amount. I mean, and, and and like I said, that's only the amount of of expenses that we finance through debt, not through taxes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know who's going to be paying for it? Your children, your children's children, your children's and children's your children. children. And your children. <laughs> and their children. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's ridiculous, man. The whole war is ridiculous. Yeah, it's just one big debacle after another. Layers upon layers of of lies. and Yeah, it goes deep. It goes, (laughs) it's just like, you could talk about it and talk about it and then go even further into it. Yeah, man. And now this finally, now that we've gone through the history of the war in Afghanistan, this finally brings us to the present. (laughs) <laughs> the cr- the collapse of Afghanistan. Oh, who could have foreseen this? Uh, <laughs> like you didn't see it coming, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh no, man. We didn't know, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So there are still Americans. This is as of August twenty twenty first. Um. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find. Uh, uh, more recent numbers, from what I understand, the State Department is trying to suppress some of this stuff. But um, <clears throat> so as of the twenty first of August, seventeen thousand people were evacuated out of Kabul. Um, now twenty five hundred of those were American citizens. In other words, we brought over just in the in the one week out of Kabul. We brought over um, uh, fourteen thousand five hundred Afghani's. A lot of them military age. Yeah, I mean, if Men. you if you saw the the photos of the of the uh, the planes that were bringing them over, I mean, you look down the aisle and there's not a single woman in sight. There's not a single old man in sight. It's men who are between the ages of 18 and 35. Yep. Yep. And how I wonder how many of these people are pedos. Yeah. You got to think about what that's bringing back into our country. Yeah, I mean, the, most of these people... That here, man. Yeah, man, most of these people are, are... These are Afghan officials that the United States have put in place. Now, I mean, we just read all this stuff about how so many of them are pedophiles. Right now, they want to bring him here. Yeah, man, it's I mean, it's so insane. And not only are they bringing him here, uh, you know, Biden gave them special expedited citizenship. Oh man, expedited citizenship, man. So so Biden renegs on Trump's freaking truce with 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 the Taliban. By not pulling out more troops, and the Taliban fights back, the 
Biden administration and the deep state completely botch, whether intentionally or not, completely botch the pullout. They pull out our military before they pull out, you know, all the American citizens over there. And they pull out the Afghanis before they finish, finish pulling out the American citizens that are stranded over there. Ridiculous, man. Yeah, and there are still... There are still American, um, there are still, you know, American citizens stranded over there. I mean, last time I heard, there were, what was it, five jets that were sitting on the tarmac yeah. that the, the Taliban wouldn't let them leave. And guess what? And these, these are full of American citizens, by the way. And mm-hmm. the State Department wouldn't let them come. Yeah. I mean, it's like they're trying to screw it up, man. Yeah. And I think they are, man. Yeah, and you know what the worst part about this is, right? So, we have some of the small hats getting involved in this stuff, man. In in these Afghan immigrants. Alright? So, check this out. So, basically, the red carpet is being rolled out for these Afghani pedos says um here's this from an article from the government executive uh civil servant volunteers deployed to qatar will help staff a temporary relocation site while evacuated afghans wait await visa processing those in domestic locations will help receive the evacuees and process them on to their final destination final locations in you know in the united states their responsibilities could include a range of activities such as uh, such as providing direct support, planning refugee flow options, coordinating with non-governmental non-governmental organizations, <laughs> and hosting congressional delegations. Employees must clear their potential participation with their supervisors before applying. Blah 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 blah. Right. So. Uh, and I know the, so these non-governmental organizations, they're they're doing everything they can to give these people a place to stay. They're you know they're making sure that they're well fed. They're making sure that you know they have all the amenities, all the amenities. Red carpet being being rolled out for the pedophiles, and of course, it makes sense. That it's the globalists who are doing this. Yeah. And we still got people there. Yeah. 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 And they're not, you know, what's crazy about this? It's not as though they're helping the American citizens that are coming back. There's no, there's no red carpet being rolled out for them. There's no assistance going to them. It's going to the Afghani immigrants, many of whom are pedophiles and war criminals. Yeah. Right and and remember, so we had uh, about a thousand troops in Afghanistan um, when this crisis started. Biden has already deployed a thousand more, so they're already ramping up the troop numbers. They're getting ready, man. They're I mean they're yeah, straight back it's, to war. It's you know more blood. More of our children's blood is going to be spilt over there for no reason at all. It's ridiculous. And then, man. and then the freaking, 
And then what was it? General Austin is up there uh, testifying before Congress, complaining about how uh, you know you know browbeat the freaking Taliban government because it's quote not inclusive enough because they don't have enough women in their parliament. Like what the hell did you expect, man? And 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 quite frankly. How tone deaf can you be? We have American citizens stranded over there. You're trying to ramp back up the war, beat the war drums. None of the American citizens want this crap. We're yeah. done with these forever wars, man. And and yet all he can freaking care about, all he can comment on, is that there's not enough freaking minorities represented in their government. It's crap, man. Dude, what a piece of absolute filth, man. Oh my goodness! We need to get all these people out, man. Yeah, all these globalists. We need to line them up. They need to be lined up against the wall and shot, man. These people traitors. are traitors, Satanists, man, pedophiles. We're run by freaking, as Alex Jones said, man. Alex Jones is right, man. I thought he was kind of crazy way back in the day, but he <laughs> was right, man. He was right. We're run by a bunch of satanic pedophiles, man. Yep, and nobody cares. Yeah, nobody, nobody cares, man. Go watch your football. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Man, it's just, it's, uh, wow. It's crazy. So, and, and like I said earlier, you know, the Taliban are not great people. Uh, we're pretty close to the end of this thing. I know it's, this episode is sure running a little long, uh, but this is a deep topic and it's very important. It's time we end these wars because I, I am absolutely, I've had it, man, with these wars. Um, so, you know, these people in Afghanistan are not good people at all. According, according now, now this, this woman may be lying. I mean, according to the Quran, according to the Quran, we would need, uh, 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 what was it? Three male witnesses (laughs) to make sure that she's not lying since she's a woman. But anyways, um, (laughs) Okay, so it's according to this woman that fled Afghanistan, Taliban rape gangs have been going around having sex with dead bodies and going door to door for sex slaves now that they're in power. Wow. Yeah. yeah. The whole thing is sick, man. We need to get out of there. The country's just a hole, man. Yeah. Yeah. It's not our problem. Yeah. We cannot be going around the world looking for giants to slay. We can't afford it. We have enough problems here. And even if we didn't have problems here, it's none of our damn business. It's wrong. It violates just war theory. Like, no matter how horrible these people are over there. I mean, what the hell do you expect? They're Muslim countries. They follow a freaking pedophile prophet. You really think that these people are going to be upstanding citizens? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they're literally, their whole religion is based upon, you know, it it was founded by a freaking pedophile warlord. I mean, (laughs) I don't know what people expect. But, man, it's just, it's time to end the wars, man. It's time to end the the wars in the Middle East. Uh, And I, I think we should close out with um there was an op-ed that was written by uh the great ron paul titled um 
why can't we just march out of Afghanistan? So, here we go. And this was written on April 19th, so keep that in mind. Uh, last week, President Biden announced a, quote, full U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan. The longest war in U.S. history by the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attack on the United States. Well, this announcement is to be welcomed. The delayed U.S. withdrawal may result in Americans and Afghans dying needlessly for good PR optics back home. We all remember how many Americans died after President Bush's, quote, mission accomplished stunt in Iraq. The war has been a disaster from day one, so why wait to end it? The previous... Trump administration had negotiated an agreement for the U.S. to be out of Afghanistan by the 1st of May. But in its obsession with tossing out anything associated with Trump, President Biden will continue to keep U.S. troops in harm's way in this pointless war. The Taliban have kept their end of the Doha Agreement, signed under then-President Trump. No Americans have been killed in Afghanistan for more than a year. However, the U.S. side under President Biden will formally violate the agreement by keeping U.S. troops in country after May 1st. The Taliban has announced that it will hold the U.S. liable for many for, for remaining in country after the agreed upon departure date. That means more Americans will be killed. The outcome of the war will not be altered in the slightest by keeping U.S. troops in Afghanistan for additional months. The withdrawal is already announced, and no one paying attention expects the corrupt U.S.-backed Kabul government to survive. It is another Saigon moment, proving that the intellectually bankrupt U.S. foreign policy and military established has learned absolutely nothing from history. So if another American is killed, who is going to explain to the grieving family why their loved one had to remain in harm's way for a good 9-11 photo op? A recent article in the Military Times lays out the massive disaster of the U.S. two-decade war in Afghanistan. More than $2 trillion spent, much of it going to fund crooked practices in Afghanistan and here at home. And even worse, the cost of war project has estimated that a quarter of a million people have been killed in the war. We do applaud President Biden's decision to ignore the demands of all the neocons who have flocked to support his administration. But as is most often the case, when it comes to Washington, you have to really read the fine print when something sounds too good to be true. In this case, the fine print is that the U.S. will not actually be leaving Afghanistan at all. As a recent article in the Gray Zone points out, the Afghan war will continue with U.S. Special Forces, CIA paramilitaries, and guns for hire taking the place of U.S. soldiers. The war is not going to end. It's just going to be privatized. My philosophy has always been simple. We just marched in, so we can just march out. As we have learned recently, that is exactly what President Trump tried to do in the final days of his presidency, only to get cold feet after his military and national security experts, experts, told <laughs> him it was a terrible idea. When the history of the Trump administration is written, it will sadly be filled with stories of Trump's excellent instincts tossed aside by his inability to demand that those working for him follow his orders. It's tragic. We need to be completely out of Afghanistan yesterday. I agree.
Yeah, man. That's a good, good uh, way to put it. Yeah, man. End the wars, man. End the wars. End them now. Yeah, man. Tired of p- promoting the freaking interests of a bunch of satanic pedophiles, man. A bunch of globalists. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Well, do you have anything else to add, Ricky Bobby? I think that'll do it, man. We're uh, already pretty pretty far into it. That was a pretty long episode. Hopefully the viewers made it. Yeah, the war in Afghanistan marathon. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, I really, there's not really much I would, I would cut out, you know? Yeah. It's <sighs> time to end it, man. Stop, stop sending, you know, stop sacrificing. And you know what's crazy? There are actually freaking conservatives, quote, conservatives, cuckservatives out there, a bunch of boomer cons who are perfectly happy to, you know, they think it's supporting the military by offering up their children to be sacrificed at the hands of the global homo elite in some, you know, some godforsaken war for the greater Israel project. I mean... (laughs) You're yeah. you're you're just bending over for the state. I mean, the worst thing you can do to your children is to just give them up to it, and that's what people are doing when they, you know, when they encourage their children to join the military. You know, fight for our freedom. I mean, the U.S. military hasn't fought for our freedom for for. I mean, man, I can't even think of the last time they fought for our freedom. Been a World long War Two? Nope. Man. World War One? Nope. I mean. The last real war we fought would have been, like, justified war. It would have been, uh, well, like, 1812. Even that really could have been avoided. Um, yeah, man. I mean, yeah, we haven't really fought a good uh, a good war in, in forever. About 200 years, so. Wake up! Wake up! Booyah! Dropping our phones, breaking down our 
of the Constitution, and that's what we ought to be doing. The system that we have today is ripping off the middle class and the poor. Can you imagine how great a nation we'd have if we didn't have the Federal Reserve System printing all this money?